Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Sermon. Uh, My name is Scott Allen, and I have got a special guest with us today. He spoke with us on Sunday. His name is Lanny Tucker, and uh, I've known him, I would say, probably for about, it's just been a few months, right? It's actually been longer than that, hasn't it? A little over a year. Are you serious? Yeah. That's crazy. You know, we first had breakfast at the um, House of Pancakes, right? Pancake House. There you go. And, uh, and you know, I kind of hit it off. I thought he was just a really neat guy filled with, with the spirit. And I tell you, I love the work that he's doing. So I thought it would be good if he could kind of share some stories with us. So I'm going to introduce you. Uh, and just tell us a little bit about yourself. You work for EEM, and I'm going to just kind of let you share a little bit about how you started and, and what you're doing now. So sure. go ahead. Sure. Well, I've worked for five different uh, Christian nonprofits, but I have never felt a better fit and more excitement, I guess, than uh, these last four years with Eastern European Mission. Um, God just doesn't stop moving. And we know that in our minds, and we know that we don't see everything that God is doing. But it seems like right now, and these really solid, these last four years at least, that I've been able to sort of be a fly on the wall. Uh, the stories that are coming out of that part of the world are very different than what we hear predominantly, at least, in most other parts of the world. So to me, it reads a lot like the book of Acts. Uh, mm-hmm. I tell people that almost everywhere I go because uh, it's just obvious the Holy Spirit is alive, people's hearts are soft, and, oddly and enough, willing. It, it's still new there. Some For some reason, in yeah. Europe... <laughs> yeah, Christianity's new. Well, it's crazy. I mean, they've they've been through seventy years of at least the attempt to force atheism on mm-hmm. everyone, and it was fairly successful. <laughs> yeah. There were some um, who certainly kept their faith through that period and through the the generations that lived through that period, but mo- most did not. And so, you know, for countries that have hundreds more years than our country has history yet in this crazy contrast they're they're kind of like 30 year old identity kind of seeking countries that are dealing with huge infrastructure issues and poverty i mean over a third of ukraine for example lives below the international poverty line wow. that's the same as uganda and tanzania so i mean you can just imagine all the challenges that their leaders and that just you know the average citizen is going through, um, trying to find who they are and recover some sense of normalcy after yeah. you know the terror of communism. You know, I first heard of EEM uh, back in I think it was two thousand and one. Uh, Mike Armour yes. went, went out to our church and and uh, he was one of our one of our elders' brother in law. You know, and so what I found <laughs> is that. Is that there is so much? There's so much about it that I I still didn't know. I I knew you did Bibles, and honestly, I I didn't know much more until I came to this church here in Grapevine that that had partnered with you, and you know they're very involved in Ukraine. Uh, we support mission missionaries, ministers out there, and and so I you know I still crave the stories. You know, I, yeah. I just want to hear them. You know. Well, and Mike Armour is a fantastic storyteller, so yeah. that was a great way to be introduced to EEM. 
you know, I had a, a, an inaccurate view, a narrow view, I guess, of what all God was doing through this ministry. It's been around since 1961, mm-hmm. started by a bunch of missionaries, and what began as a Bible smuggling operation out of Vienna, Austria, uh, you know, with the wall coming down in 89, now, I mean, it's 18-wheeler trucks that we get to deliver Bibles in, and... And we only deliver Bibles to people who are asking for them. We just you're not you know, just you... loading them up in a plane and dropping them out <laughs> onto people's houses. We don't do that, and we don't you know force them down people's not throats anymore. At because, least, right? You know, Bibles usually come right back up when you force it down somebody's throat. That's so, funny. but they're truly. I mean, you know, on the on the spectrum of sort of different ways to think about missions, a lot of people get passionate about unreached people groups Mm -hmm. who've never heard about Jesus. I mean, that sounds like Paul, right? He wants to go where nobody else has been. But then you've also got this compelling reason of trying to reach people who are, uh, they've, they've been reached before, but for whatever reasons, they become highly receptive Mm -hmm. to the gospel. So receptivity is very high in Eastern Europe. Wow. So so you started out with Bibles. It was almost a clandestine operation for a while. And then the wall came down, literally and figuratively. Yes. And now, I, I know you're still receiving some pushback here and there. You know, that, that always happens. But for the most part, you have got, uh, have been able to make a lot of headway in relationships <clears throat> that still are pretty valuable. Absolutely. You know, I can't say that we really have experienced a lot of pushback in the last, I'd say, four years. That's it's great. been more and more. I mean, leaders at the highest levels of some of these countries are thanking us profusely, hmm. not for sort of adding a Bible to their public school so that they can do a comparative religious study right. of Hinduism and Buddhism and everything. It's not just knowledge-based. No. They tell us, you know... They say Americans think that communism just failed us politically, you know, as, as, as a way of governing and, and in terms of spirituality. But they'll consistently, many of their leaders have said, it didn't just fail us in those ways, but in every way. And so morally I mean, and I mean, it, just the, the behaviors of people's relationships, they mm. talk about how they don't even trust their own family members a wow. lot of times. And it's because communism just bred this fear and distrust and all that. They talk about um, pollution and, you know, the the environment. They know that they should be doing better, but they really don't get how to do better than, you know, just smoke and pollution blowing everywhere. So it's amazing to hear them describe uh, in a way that I wasn't expecting how thoroughly communism has... uh, changed their culture. I never really thought about, I really never thought about how the lack of trust could affect a society and a culture in yes. such a way. And, yes. you know, you, you always hear of, of, of some cultures where they're, they're more introspective, they're more, you know, look out for themselves. But, but the idea that, that, you know, without God, there really is very little trust Wow, that is something. And I'm no psychologist or counselor, but I mean, abuse victim comes to my mind all the time. And some of them have used that sort of, uh, you know, synonymous language for how they've been beaten, literally, 
Uh, they've been starved to death. Stalin is hated in Ukraine, much more so than Lenin and the okay. other leaders, because Stalin starved some of them to death, the hundreds and thousands of them. Hmm. So, yeah, um, it's it's a bleak situation where it takes so long to build trust. But but God has blessed, you know, in our case, as a ministry that wasn't just blowing in in 1989 kind of flash in the pan like like a lot did with I'm sure good motives when the wall came down you know we had already been there we had we had had several generations of missionaries you know coming through the 60s 70s and 80s and so man when the wall came down it it truly excited us and we were able to kind of put an engine behind the opportunity like few other ministries, whether within Churches of Christ or beyond. I mean, we've mm. we've really um, carved a unique niche. I, I wish that there were more people providing Bibles in Eastern Europe, but we, we seem to have been blessed to be around long enough and, you know, on the shoulders of some heroes of faith and risk takers that have allowed us to be in a position to be where we are now. And, and I can't say enough about, you know, I mean, churches like Grapevine Giving, I mean, our ministry wouldn't wouldn't be here. It would be a pile of great ideas and passion, but it does take money. It does take prayer. It takes a lot of, in our case, you know, stateside partners to be able to do right. what yeah. we're doing. So you got to have partners. So okay, so you're you have problems with trust with some people, but you've been building that trust. Oh yeah, slowly. And and to me, the trust is earned one story at a time, right? Sure. So, yeah. so what is? Give me a story or two about what God has been doing with these people, and oh, yeah. and, and and how He's using. I would. I don't want to just want to say E M, but I want to say those who care about Eastern Europe. How's He using them? Sure. To bring the gospel. To these sure. People? Well, I'm thinking about a guy that I got to meet. Uh, we might say Eager uh, or Igor if we saw his name printed, but he 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 said his name Eager. Uh, Igor Kavalov, and you know we got to visit. Is he Russian, Ukrainian? Well, he he is Ukrainian okay. in his nationality, but he lived through a good chunk of that Soviet era. Mm. And so, uh, when we got to meet him, you know, we asked him what his story was because now he is one of the two paid ministers of Churches of Christ in all of Luhansk, Ukraine. Wow. Luhansk is, you know, just a few hours, you know, train ride north of Donetsk, which is where so many missionaries and Ukrainians have had to flee because this ongoing war there. That's a whole nother story. But um, so eager, uh, you know, we sit down with him in this bakery and we're eating croissants and drinking delicious coffee. But he is just eager to get out and deliver the Bibles that we had brought to the four schools all surrounding uh, the church where he is a minister. And there's two million plus people in Luhansk. I mean, we're talking about two, you know, one of the two paid ministers of all, at least the Churches of Christ for for (laughs) two million. And there's other churches there Mm -hmm. doing good things, but Churches of Christ, that's the footprint too. Um, And so we're talking to half the paid workforce, you know. Um, And we say, you know, even though he's chomping at the bit to get out and deliver these Bibles, um, we say, hey, would you tell us how in the world did you become a Christian? He said, well, you know, and I, I was a Soviet Air Force captain. He said, I had 19 men um, under my command. I served for 15 years. And coming up on, you know, November of 1989, I was supposed to begin my pension check um, and retire in early 1990. 
but USSR dissolved. Mm. And yeah, any and any friend of mine that started his pension before that point still gets a check to this day, he said. But in his case, he and his wife had nothing. Lost it all overnight. And as thrilled as they were that, you know, Ukraine, their country, was becoming independent, they knew that they weren't the only ones that were just struck with poverty kind of overnight. But in, in his case, especially since he was, you know, working for the for the Russian military. So they went for a couple of years and had it really rough. And they hear about this group coming from North Carolina. Sounds a lot like a Let's Start Talking group, and it may have been. I'm not sure. Um, but he described it as these Christians who were coming to teach English. Uh, his wife had seen a poster, and so she said, Hey, we ought to go. It's in a couple of weeks. He said, No, I don't want to go. They're teaching Christianity. I mean, he's a staunch atheist at this point. Um, you know, communist Russia had succeeded, and he didn't believe in God. Um, and so his wife just kind of keeps on kind of, you know, bugging him, kind of elbowing him and saying, hey, you really, we should do this. We're, we're going to gain a lot of occupational opportunities if we know English better. It's the future. So finally, coming up on when this group was, was coming over to Luhansk, Ukraine, he finally says, okay, okay, I will go with you, but I am going for one reason. The only reason that I am going is because I'm going to convince my teacher that atheism is better than Christianity. <laughs> All right. So, you know, he was talking through our translator to this whole point, but he does know some English. He, he must have paid good attention those <laughs> two weeks. But he then looks right at us and he says, So, two weeks, he teach me Bible, Bible, Bible. Two weeks, I teach him. Atheism, atheism, <laughs> atheism. Two weeks, I, uh, I become Christian. <laughs> you know, two weeks at the end of that time, he's baptized into Christ. Wow. He went on to say, I mean, it's humorous to that point, but he went on to say the more powerful thing, which was, that man that was teaching me, he, he just loved me, and I knew it. He said, I started trying to fight him every day. He would not fight me, which made me angry <laughs> at first, but it started to just soften his heart. He said, this sounds crazy, but I started believing in a loving God before I really believed there was a God. Mm. And I thought, wow. I hope that I can have a testimony of someone that through my life somehow has, you know, seen the love of Jesus that powerfully, you know, the pacifist role of a teacher who wouldn't fight. Wow. <laughs> but anyways, you know, that's, that's, that's eager in his story. He goes off then from, you know, from that bakery that morning and he delivers Bibles at these four schools all surrounding that area. And he told us, he said, I've gone to those principles for years. As a Christian minister, I've gone to them for, for years. And I said, I, can, I, can I come and teach the kids? Can I do it during school or during lunch or after school? Um, 
He said, in, in communism, <laughs> you can see my hand, Scott. You know, he, he sticks out his thumb away from the four fingers. He says, in communism, there's this way of thinking that says you don't want to be the thumb because you get cut off. <laughs> <laughs> he said, so you always want to be the finger. He said, those principles, they wanted to be a finger and not a thumb. They, they weren't willing to risk their job just quite yet, although our country, you know, there's nothing wrong with Christianity now. But now their state minister of education has approved all of these EEM Bibles. You know, all 700 schools in Luhansk ha- now have Bibles. This is two years ago. So they've been kids studying these Bibles for two years, some of whom, you know, have been hand-delivered and taught even by Eager. But he said as soon as they found out that their boss was approving and even demanding that Every one of these schools were going to teach Christian ethics. Now, here's the textbook, the Bible. Um, He said, they quickly welcomed me. (laughs) They said, you can come teach as often as you like. You know, it's okay to be a thumb, I guess, now. (laughs) So he's... He is uh, an amazing man. From, those are Bibles are coming from you guys, all that material? Well, I could say they're coming from you guys. You you <laughs> I mean, truly, it's it's our partnership. I mean, Grapevine was one of 417, 420-ish uh, churches, last year at least, that allowed stories like this to be possible because Eager wouldn't have any Bibles to provide if it weren't for an EEM that's partnered well with mm-hmm. churches like Grapevine. But yeah, wow. there's uh, there is truly a hunger and a joy for, for existing Christians like Eager, but kids are being taught the gospel in their classrooms. So. Well, I know there's tons of stories, but I wanted to ask you quickly about the fact that Ukraine is looking different now than it did even four or five years ago with the, the wars that are going on in the Middle East and with Syria and in um, Afghanistan and uh, Iraq, and I mean, it's it is it is sincerely a world crisis in a lot of ways. And I know that they're coming into Ukraine, they're coming into Eastern Europe, and and I know that you guys are prepared for that. So how how does that how does that work? I mean, what happens there? Yeah, I'm not sure that we we actually weren't prepared for that. Uh, we were not. Well, we weren't expecting that, I guess. Right. Maybe God had prepared us in some ways for what we didn't expect to yeah. happen. But, you know, we got... Well, they say, first of all, that I've heard it from multiple sort of credible news sources, you know, this is the biggest migration of humanity since World War II. Huh. Um, and when we sent our own soldiers, you know, to many parts of the world, uh, that and, and everybody else was sending soldiers other places too. We seem to have missed this one because I think our media has successfully steeped us in believing that every single Muslim, or even one that might look like a Muslim, is ready to behead us. Um, and obviously, we've got plenty of stories of that going on, right? Yeah. Uh, but that seems to be all that the media is focused on. So, you know, we we are a very collaborative ministry. If we not only had partners stateside that were helping fund this, we wouldn't exist. But if we also didn't have all of the Eastern European partners, the ministry people, the boots on the ground, um, then we wouldn't have a, a ministry either. We'd have a lot of money and a lot of Bibles, but no real effective way to use them and to get them into the, the hands and hopefully God's Word into the hearts of the people. So... 
So we got to, you know, it's two days after Christmas. And I think I shared this story at least a little bit uh, on Sunday morning. But, you know, Dino Russos in the Glafada Church of Christ in Athens, Greece, he's been there for a long time. He's a Greek national. He calls us up and he says, do you print in Arabic or Farsi? You've given us Greek Bibles for decades, but we've got over a million refugees, Syrians, Afghans, Iraqis, Iranians, and a host of other countries as well. You know, all these Middle Eastern countries, and primarily they speak Arabic and Farsi. A few speak Urdu. He said, we need a lot of Bibles, and we're overwhelmed with trying to help feed, clothe, or, or send them on to other parts of Europe where hopefully they can find a job or some that want to stay here. We've got you know, refugee camps galore because our country historically has much more open borders, so we're kind of this natural bottleneck, uh, kind of the, the gateway to this refugee highway as far as those millions that are coming into Europe. So we say, well, how many do you need? We'll figure it out. He says, I need 20,000. So he said, all right. So it took us about a month to find the right partner for printing. We're not translators of God's word, you know, so we, we, but we know the right people that are. And we get 20,000, you know, 10,000 Arabic, 10,000 Farsi to him in about three and a half weeks. We were pretty proud that we had that turnaround time on a Bible, you know, we'd never been asked for. We print 20 languages. I guess now we say 22, <laughs> 22. because we've just never gotten requests <laughs> in those languages. But meanwhile, Dino shares with all of his you know, network of other ministers, Christians, ministries of all different kinds in Athens and Greece and surrounding countries even. <laughs> we started getting so many requests that I'm getting an email every single day from my boss saying, guess what? We got 32,000 now. Guess what? We're up to 67,000. I mean, by the end of January, first first few days of February 2016, we had 110,000 Bible requests. Wow. In two languages, we'd never gotten a single request in. And all this took place in, you know, less than 5 weeks. It's explosion. So Literally. you know, we we had the the capital to be able to do that. In some ways we did. Maybe we also had the faith. I was proud of our board because they they didn't say, uh, let's take a week to pray about this and think about fiscal responsibility. And I mean, there's a place for that. And we are as responsible as we can be. But yeah. all of our board said, print them. Wow. This has got to be God. And he'll provide for it as well. What we don't have, you know, this at that, at that point, it was about a $650,000 bill. Mm-hmm. Um, that we hadn't budgeted for. You know, we finished 2015 without any budget for, you know, and we had just approved, you know, the bigger budget than we'd ever had because there's more and more opportunity. Well, we didn't see this coming. So, you know, um, there's some amazing ministries that we get to partner with. And I, I can tell stories now or later about, you know, the other partners we have in Athens, but there's some amazing ways that people are feeding, clothing, but also able to give God's word now because we're a partner that gives it free to anyone who's asking for it. And that's one thing that I that in our conversation before we started recording, that you talk about how your mission is Bibles. That's what your mission is, and it's helping. But but y'all know who to partner with, and y'all God has given you people to to uh, really invest and walk alongside with whenever you 
you encounter these people groups. So, so where, whereas, you know, they would be spending money on Bibles, now that money is free to do it, to use it for clothing or food or shelter so that you can be the ones providing the Bibles and all that. That's, you know, that's, that's a real partnership there. I mean, collaboration is, is a very sort of trendy word, right? And sometimes it can, you know, mean something that, that's really, you know, an inch deep and maybe a mile wide. I have learned through this experience of how we've responded to the opportunity with these refugee Bibles and how we truly partner with people like Dino Russo's, people uh, like these, these ministries in Athens that are doing the brunt of the work mm-hmm. of feeding and clothing. Um, you know, our, our president and my boss, uh, Bob Burkle and Dirk Smith, they were in Athens, um, and, and they were there long enough that uh, they got to meet the, you know, the executive director of one of these ministries that's just feeding. I mean, they feed 800 refugees every Monday night, I think it is. Uh, we've got a video that shows, you know, some of the people eating spaghetti in this, this beautiful place. Um, all these Muslims that are, you know, being served by Christians. It's a beautiful sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they got to meet with him, and they, they learned that he's paying 15 euro per Bible that he's handing out. And they want to get the Bible out to people, but, you know, they, they've they never had to find Arabic and Farsi Bibles either. And so with their limited time, that was the cheapest Bible they could find. And so, of course, our, our leaders say, well, how many do you need? Because we exist to help you mm-hmm. because you're doing what we don't do yeah. and you're, you know, you're passing on the word of God and teaching it. So anyways, he, he kind of hesitated. He's like, you know, we need 60,000 Bibles. That, that might be our initial request too. I mean, we, we truly could use 60,000 Bibles. <laughs> Anything you can do to help us is great, but I guess that's the wish list, you know? <laughs> so they say, well, let us go to work on that. And he didn't, you know, this leader didn't realize that, you know, we'd hired a staff person to start handling just the request that Dino had at the Glyphata Church. And so we had a lot of these Bibles right there. And so, you know, just within a, a few days, we deliver 60,000 Bibles to him. And in that process, he just, he breaks down in tears over the fact that, you know, long story short, we're freeing 990 some odd thousand dollars or euros it, it's about the same one to one right now that that's how much money is freed up in his operational budget to now just simply give bibles and spend more money on food on clothing on i don't know maybe the teachers you know the staffing of what all they're wow. doing he just broke down in tears that we would be the kind of partner that would be in the position and have the god-given mission to do just that. Give him a million dollars just because he asked for basically. it. Basically. I mean, <laughs> plus Bibles, you yeah, know. That's right. And so he, he's not going to have to spend another penny on any of his Bibles. And he's going to get to put all of that money into, you know, and that's, that's how Jesus did ministry. And so we're thrilled that our ministry gets to partner. And so together with our true partners, we get to be like Jesus's ministry because it's not just, you know, the word of God dropping out of an airplane, hoping it lands close to a human being that might actually open it. And no, it's, it's a, a whole lot of a richer definition of collaboration than that. Well, I'll tell you, I, I could go on, you know, 27 minutes has gone by fast, hadn't it? Mm, yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I, you know, I could really go on and listen because you've got lots of stories. Is there anywhere someone can go online to read more of these stories? or to Yes, yes. If you go to just uh, eem.org, you'll see um, in the pull-down menus, you'll see at one point uh, stories. I think that's the, just the oh, simple title. Yeah. So you also will see a video journey if you want to see some videos that tell these stories as well. But, yeah, there's a whole host of, of stories, both in video form and in written form, and, and has some pictures, too, to be able that's to see. Right. Well, I know, I know here um, on September 25th we're going to be having a special collection for Million Dollar Sunday. But if, if someone's listening to this and they wanted to donate to EEM, sure. you know, how could they do that? Well, you've got options. I mean, uh, they could, of course, you know, bring their gift to the Grapevine Church of Christ. I'm right. sure you guys would, would forward that. it right on. Uh, you'd love that. That that would be great. Do it on that Sunday here in church. That would be great. Starting at 10. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in addition to that, they can give online. Okay. We have a secure system for any kind of giving, whether it's um, you know credit card or bank draft. There's lots of options there, monthly gifts, one-time gifts. Um, so you can go to the same website, eem.org. I think at the very top it'll just say donate, and you'll get options there. And then you can send your gift into our Dallas headquarters. Uh, you'll find that address again on our yeah. eem.org website. So, That's great. Uh, so any you can call the office too if you'd rather give by credit card, uh, by phone. You can okay. do that as well. Well, it's been a great conversation. Thank you for being here and for for speaking on Sunday. If you want to hear the sermon, uh, go online to our our website www.grapevinechurch.com look under resources and you'll see our sermon videos or you can subscribe to our podcast uh, by uh, searching for Grapevine Church of Christ on iTunes or this podcast behind behind the sermon Grapevine Church of Christ so uh, there's a lot of content there and uh, Lanny's Sermon Sunday was wonderful it'd be a really good thing to go and listen to that but uh, I just want to say thank you personally and uh, you're you're doing God's work and I really appreciate what you do and uh, it's probably a lot easier to deal with Eastern Europeans than it is to deal with rich Americans, but somebody has to do it, right? <laughs> well, don't put me on a plateau because we're we truly are all in this together, and uh, I'm just a small part of that. So thank you. All right. Well, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Grapevine Church of Christ. Subscribe to this podcast or to the Sermon Series podcast. For more information, visit our website, www.grapevinechurch.com.